Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing last week's spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting five to 15 minutes where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Jumbo fellow adventurers, today's topic was posted by a user on Facebook. Uh, the question is a doozy. It is the Mac Daddy of all questions. Uh, how do you know for sure consciousness is not a byproduct of the brain? Okay. Now I realize I'm speaking to the choir and many of you are on board. But to anybody who's not on board, this is an invitation for a reflection. And anybody who is on board, the more confident you are in the truth, and the truth is absolute, it is all-knowable, it is benign, friendly, and empowering, the better off you are. So how do I know? How am I so sure? Well, it takes a bit of a leap but not much. It would take a much larger leap to think that consciousness uh, is a byproduct of the brain. I mean, just look at the evidence if you're scientifically or objectively inclined. Um, to begin the series of questions I have that stem from this, you know, where, if consciousness is a byproduct of the brain, um, that would mean the physical universe came first and somehow in the physical universe we evolved well where would the first spark be how could the physical universe be bedrock reality if time as concluded by albert einstein is illusionary uh, relative different from one person to the next. If time is relative, then so must space be relative. In fact, in my own humble opinion, time and space are the same thing, just two axioms that create a reality. If, one, if time is relative for me, then that which is enclosed in time must be relative, space. Matter is contained by space, matter is relative. It is different from one person to the next. And if this is bedrock reality, then we've got a, a, a grave problem going on. The biggest question unanswered by that hypothesis is where did bedrock reality come from? Where did the physical universe come from? It just existed on its own? Have you taken a gander at wildlife lately? A uh, hundred million species on planet Earth all doing this symbiotic dance that perpetuates life and consciousness as we know it. Not just human consciousness, but the consciousness of every living creature and every living tree and organism and cell and amoeba. 
All of this is all teeming together with balance, with order. Each has something to do. There are many who would speculate that amoebas uh, were the first spark of life. Uh, where did an amoeba come from? This hypothesis means that through some combination of the elements, you know, earth, water, fire, air, somehow from those elements sprung consciousness that ultimately was able to pull itself out of the ocean, learn to walk upright, ultimately wearing high heels. Now that's a really compelling story. It's an amazing story, but there's zero evidence on planet Earth, zero evidence skeletally speaking, of the evolution of an amoeba to a human being, much less an amoeba to a blade of grass, much less an amoeba to a koala bear, or to any of the hundred million different species. Uh, it boggles the mind. And then you consider, how come there's still amoebas? How come they haven't all sprung gills and fins and begun walking upright? And and science will give you an answer to why there is still amoebas. But science does not give a, a, an explanation, nor is there any fossil evidence that indicates evolution was the source of life. So how do I know that consciousness isn't a byproduct of the brain? Well, the brain would be a byproduct of evolution. The, the evolution would be a byproduct of space dust come alive um, and then we still don't know where space dust came from whereas you all have nighttime dreams this is a great analogy if you will in a nighttime dream when you're running and being chased by lions and tigers and bears or you're chasing after romeo or romeo is chasing after you to the dreamer isn't everything happening on the stage of their dream just vivid reality I mean, their heart is racing, they're sweating, and God knows what other bodily functions are taking place, right? Inside of a nighttime dream, it's real. And there is terra firma. You are running on the ground and gravity is holding you to the ground. And there's all of these concoctions that seem so believable. Why? Well, we look at our own lives and we realize that our nighttime dreams offer a tonic, offer solutions create avenues for creativity. There's a lot of work that gets done in a nighttime dream. And that work gets done and our emotions are triggered when we believe the apparatus, the stage of a nighttime dream is real. It's not real. You know that it's not real. It's a nighttime dream. You can look at your partner sleeping in their bed beside of you and they're jumping and running all over, but nothing's happening. It's all in their mind. But in their mind, there's a world. And my my leap here is to suggest that the dream of life that we are now sharing, that by and large we are co-creating, is every bit the same as a nighttime dream. When you're in the dream, it's so real and you can take a microscope out and you can find atoms and electrons and things like that. But then you wake up from the dream and you see that there was a reason for that dream. And the reason for the dream of life as we know it is joy and love and discovery and adventure. Do you think this is the byproduct of space dust?
that is a much more gigantic, much more impossible leap. Never in any laboratory has consciousness sprung from matter. Never. But every single night, matter, or what we believe to be matter, springs from our nighttime dreams. And when you can see the love in your life, when you know what it's like to be loved, when you know what it's like to fall in love, when you know what it's like to learn patience, when you know what it's like to believe in yourself, and you can view these as adventures, because they are, and you realize that you're inclined to succeed, that your positive thoughts are 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts, suddenly it starts making sense. This is a fantastic dream, not diminishing from the importance of life. It's not just some play day, uh, you know, hocus pocus, let's see what we can manifest. I mean, it's all about the jewels of emotion and that journey. And hasn't there been enough people who have clinically died and come back and written a best-selling book that was filled with profound wisdom that mirrors one another from different parts of the world, from different times in humanity? Haven't there been enough yogis and seers and prophets that all speak the same language, that all tell us that this is all about love, this makes sense. Can I prove it physically? Maybe not. But do you have to be able to prove that last night you dreamed of a red Corvette to know that you did dream of a red Corvette? Why not just take it for what it is? Go with what you got. See the love and beauty everywhere. Realize that you have a profound effect on the illusions and all of the physical elements of the world through your thoughts, your beliefs, and expectations. Discipline your thought through some creative visualization. Craft some words through uh, affirmations. Work on your beliefs. Look to anything that gives you pain emotionally in the world and realize you're misunderstanding something. And suddenly, game on, wealth, friends, abundance, international travel, joy, laughter, health, healing are all yours. That can't come from a rock. That's never come from a rock. So, perhaps if you're asking me to physically, or anybody, to physically prove that consciousness came first, I would say you're barking up the wrong tree. From within the dream, you can't prove that. Not with the physical props. That would be like in a nighttime dream saying, you know, prove to me that that lion's not real, you know, and all of a sudden it's eating you up. Um, but the far more difficult, far more illogical, far more pathetic explanation would be that life came from matter. And there's just zero, zero, nothing, nothing to that. Nothing, nobody, it's not there. Okay, fellow adventurers, thanks for that great question. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe somebody out there will think some new thoughts and realize how powerful they are. And that's the point of all of this, so that you know how powerful you are. You are of God, by God, pure God, capable of living a life of joy and ease. Jumbo fellow adventurers, time for a wild and crazy spiritual tune-up, ghosts, aliens, and weirdness. So where to begin? There are mysteries galore in the universe, and they tantalize, they intrigue, they confound. And while they're fascinating, don't let your 
awe of these mysteries detract from the here and now. Don't let your power be given away. I'm going to cross some T's and dot some I's and talk about some really fun stuff right now. And yes, get into it. it it's evocative of the vast perfection of reality. But then take that sense of perfection to your own life because nothing takes away your ability to choose your thoughts in the present moment and live deliberately the life of your dreams, loved and in loved, powerful as all get out. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is aliens. And I have a book that I did co-author with my dear friend Tracy Farquhar, uh, Channeled Messages from Deep Space. From Deep Space with Love is the hardback. Same book, different title. Um, I've got a bit of experience having in-depth conversations with aliens from Brohashka. You don't have to read the book. I'm not trying to sell the book, but I'm trying to tell you that in addition to my own wandering mind and deductive reasoning, uh, I've got a lot to share with you. First of all, heck yes, they're real. They're everywhere. They're on our earth. They're friends. If they wanted to take us over, they would. To be sophisticated enough for intergalactic travel, they're not likely to be very petty. Okay, and they're not coming here to plunder our resources or other inane ideas. They're spiritual brothers and sisters learning to master consciousness, exactly like us. Now, here's a little um, mathematics I did that speaks to the likelihood of aliens. If you play your local six-number lottery, chances are one in 14 million one in 14 million that you'll win. Okay, I googled it. All right, if you were to play the lottery for every single planet that's suspected to be in our physical universe, the number is so large I can't even pronounce it, um, but, but based on known science, the estimated number of physical planets, if you were to play the lottery for every single planet, this is weird, but you'll see. And you only found life in one out of 14 million. Okay. One out of 14 million. You would find life, therefore, on 178 quadrillion planets. Not million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, 178 quadrillion other planets have life if, this is weird, okay, the chances of life being out there on a planet is the same as winning the lottery, which is pretty, 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 pretty rare. 178 quadrillion. They're everywhere. Some are more advanced than us technologically, some are less advanced technologically. And more important, some are more advanced than us spiritually in terms of the evolution of consciousness and others are less. Uh, from, I believe, what Frank said in the book I co-authored with Tracy Farquhar, um, we are in the bottom quarter as far as conscious evolution. I, I forget what book I read that in. Um, but yeah, they're everywhere. Crop circles. Somebody asked me about crop circles. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably aliens trying to communicate with a wink. Uh, I don't read anything profound in them. I know others do. Uh, I think nine out of 10 crop circles are probably, you know, people trying to trick you. But why wouldn't they be uh, 
kind of playing around to pique your interest, to wonder big questions and discover the magnificence and vastness of reality. Uh, the other big question I get about is ghosts and evil entities and bad spirits and are they people who've crossed over? Um, invariably, consolidated from all I've ever read, which is not much, and my own intuition, that's exactly what they are. They're so attached to the physical plane with unfinished business that they can't move closer to the light. And so they're in this kind of twilight zone purgatory of their own creation from which they are utterly powerless to interfere with your life. Zero, zero power. Ghosts, um, poltergeists, all that stuff. Those are tormented souls who have not yet connected the dots, who are experiencing and meeting in the twilight zone their beliefs and their expectations, and they're in a muddle. They're trying to be reached all the time with angels or light beings or teachers or whatever you want to call them, because there's lots of grades of consciousness, angels being another grade. I did a mastermind just on angels about a month ago. So just like the movie Ghost, did you see that with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze? Oh my gosh, exactly like that. Except they cannot interfere with your manifestations. Do not be afraid. The only time a poltergeist or a ghost might somehow show up is if you're highly tuned to that world and you believe in it. But as long as you don't see yourself as vulnerable, can't touch this. All right, so nothing to worry about ghosts. Yes, they're real. They're, they're frustrated souls and they're being helped to get closer to the light so that they can recalibrate and decide to come back into time and space. Another odd question I got was, you know, when, when people are speaking to mediums um, and the medium has never seen this person that they're channeling or connecting with for the bereaved party who's hired the medium, um, how is it that the medium is able to tune into a soul or a spiritual essence and come up with a physical description? Given that we identify in our lifetimes here in time and space with a physical body that's so useful in so many ways, it's a channel of our spiritual energies until we are way, way, way beyond where form is not necessary, we like form, we want form, we continue with form, and we will very likely, you know, there's free will here, look exactly the same as you and I right now on the other side when our transition happens. We might choose to look younger, we might choose to have more hair, we might choose a few little adaptations, but it's comfortable. Believe it or not, you want it to look how you look right now. You're gorgeous right now. It's only other people's opinions of what's beauty and what's not that we um, bully ourselves. But having a form is handy and helpful. And when you go to the spirit realm, again, you're not necessarily formless at all. Not at all. You, you, um, you still live in a reality immediately after this one where there is time and space. Therefore, material objects, but at a different vibration. We learn so well when we manipulate and move around the physical world. We're not ready to just move around in uh, concepts at the point of immediately crossing over. And you see as clearly as here. You hear as clearly as here. You, you can taste and feel 
just like you do here right now. I know that's a hard one to kind of think. We tend to think that, that um, you know, when we close our eyes, that's an approximation of the other size, of the other side. No, there's more colors on the other side. There's more vividness on the other side. There's more acoustics on the other side. There's more aromas on the other side. And we make our way through various realms of paradise no more magnificent than this paradise. I mean, how many flavors of chocolate do, chocolate do you really need? But there, time and space and matter are much more malleable. Uh, they're not as consistent and as rigid as here. We need the rigidness here to better learn of our power as creators. And, and this is a tangent to another thought. You know, how come when I have all these fearful thoughts or how do I stop my fearful thoughts? There's like a safety measure in time and space that you don't spontaneously get your thoughts. You don't spontaneously get manifestations because we would have lions and tigers and bears invading us. And then we have Prince Charming and Princess Charming um, showing up and then they would turn into beasts and we wouldn't be able to handle that. So here we have this thick, dense soup with an inclination to succeed, an inclination to prosper, a buoyancy that keeps us more or less on the up and up in health and wealth and clarity, sanity, wealth, abundance, friends, laughter. And there's this like gap, if you will, before anything manifests. It's just easier for good stuff to manifest than bad stuff. The pyramids, um, from my latest readings uh, of the emerald tab tablets, heavy, profound stuff, Emerald Tablets by Dor Doriel, if you can find that. Thoth was the architect of the tablets. He lived for 50,000 years on planet Earth. I totally believe it. He predated, he lived in Egypt. He came from Atlantis, absolute reality, Atlantis. And um, he established this uh, center or culture, if you will that uh, ultimately was run over by subsequent generations, but the pyramids were built by this enlightened being named Thoth and his legions, uh, probably through intense thought, not manual labor. And they are a testament to the greatness of our abilities when we are truly enlightened. And I do believe there's gonna be, and many have said this, lots of discoveries around the pyramids, the Sphinx, um, that will reveal records uh, pertaining to the original creators and its purpose, which is significantly to remind us of the awesomeness of reality and the power that we weld as conscious beings. The Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot are real. Most sightings are fake. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, there's more. Let it fascinate you. Let it intrigue you. Let it remind you of the grandiosity of life in these sacred, hallowed jungles of time and space. And then bust a move in your own life to live happy, exert your power, be surrounded by love and friends. Give love and whatever you want to give. Um, and use this vast collection of mysteries to empower you in your life today, not to distract you. Thoughts become things over rules everything else everything else so you're in the driver's seat you can have do and be whatever you want lots of love thank you very much
Jumbo fellow adventurers, reprogramming trauma. Thanks for the great question. Post your questions below, Facebook, Instagram. I'm doing a simulcast uh, and I'll get to your question in the near future. But reprogramming trauma. I need to preface what I share in this short se session with the fact that I'm a recovering certified public accountant. I am not a therapist. And by all means, what I'm sharing with you is not to be a substitute for what a therapist will share with you, which is undoubtedly a great deal more than I have to offer. Yet, I'm human. I've had trauma, probably on a scale of one to 10, not nearly as traumatic as what some of you have actually endured and had have to, to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. What I have found in my case and in those of loved ones is that the notion of trying to eliminate trauma and trying to remove it from your thinking is one that will very likely never come to pass. You're going to have that in the back of your mind for the rest of this adventure. But what I have found and seen worked in other people is that you can still do all you can with what you've got from where you are to live as full a life as possible to the degree that eventually that trauma gets relegated to a distant recess in your mind and is no longer front and center. To help you with this, I want to share with you what I believe is the true curse of trauma, the true curse of trauma. And it's not what you think it is. Those who have experienced something truly awful in their life, whether it was a battle zone or a childhood violation, as their life progresses, they have a sense of vulnerability. They have a sense of self-loathing. They have a sense of guilt. They have a sense of not knowing where they fit in. And the curse is, they think it pertains and it stems from the earlier violation, trauma, or whatever it was. Blinding them to the fact that those who have led relatively trauma-free lives go through bouts of depression, bouts of self-loathing, bouts of insecurities, and bouts of fe feeling vulnerable. Yet, because you don't know what it's like on the other side of the equation for somebody who's trauma-less, you think these creepy feelings that gnaw away at you stem from your trauma. And what I want to share with you is that it's part and parcel of the human adventure to feel these unpleasant emotions of self-doubt, uncertainty, vulnerability, depression, etc. I mean, everybody goes through that. Yet, you think, very likely, that you are in this special class of people, and I'm not diminishing your trauma by any means. What you have gone through is more than what I have ever gone through, many of you. I know that that's the case. That I'm not taking away from. But if you attribute every negative feeling that you have to the trauma, you're going to feel that you're far more unreachable, um, beyond redemption, um, permanently cursed, 
because of the trauma. And it's like, no, look, truly, I have felt all of those awful things. Everyone feels all of those awful things. And yet they deal with it, they move on. You are cursed with having the memory of the trauma and you think, well, I can't deal with it, it won't go away. It can be relegated to a distant recess of your mind by living as full a life as possible where you now are. You know, if you're asking this question, how to reprogram trauma, that you're asking it for the best of your life, for the rest of your life. And I suggest to the degree possible, you focus there and not try to untangle this nasty, difficult, painful episode of your life. It will drift away. It will pair in comparison, pale in comparison to the beauty and the power that will emerge from you as you face life, game on, do what you can with what you've got. You're pushed on to greatness. You're inclined to succeed. I'd even go so far as to say, if you've heard my other tune-ups, you know that this is the case, that whatever happened to you was part of the choice of this lifetime. It was not destined, but you saw a probability and there were reasons for it. There was purpose, there was perfection, and there is, in spite of appearances, love. Just take that with you. Live as full a life as possible. It will be relegated to a distant recess in your mind. It'll always be there, but you are so much more than whatever has happened to you. And you have so much to look forward to you, to look forward to. Hola and Jumbo fellow adventurers. It's time to talk about power manifesting. And as I was looking through the questions that you've been posting below, thank you so much. This is where I get my talking points. Um, someone said, you know, love this stuff. Let's talk more about manifesting. And in the two months that I've been doing this every day, I have almost addressed zero time to one of my favorite topics. And that is relaying the parallels from the miraculous mechanics of manifestation to digital GPS navigation. Oh my gosh, this came about probably 12 years ago. I was trying to come up with material to help people understand the mechanics of making stuff happen, living deliberately, creating consciously. And it was just like, oh, everything begins with the end in mind. The end result forces the details. The end result forces the hows, the so-called cursed hows that we tend to attach to at the beginning of a journey. And it's like, this is exactly like GPS navigation. Back then when I used to explain it to audiences, this was so long ago, I had to first tell them what GPS navigation was. Um, things have changed. Now you have it on your cell phone, no doubt. You've got it guiding your car. You've got it tracking your Fitbits. Um, and it's an amazing thing, but all journeys uh, through the illusions of time and space from have not to have, or in some cases we have and we don't want to have, um, follow these exact guidelines. By understanding that thoughts becoming things is it, the end all be all. It behooves all of us to get these mechanics. They're not wishy-washy. They're not on some days and off other days. It never fails. So understand these mechanics. You become a power manifester. There's 
virtually nothing you can't do, be, or have. And I use the word virtually because there is a Bermuda Triangle of manifestation where it might work, might not work, might break your heart, might work, but you wished it hadn't in hindsight. Okay, I'll talk about that briefly at the end of this. But let's review the parallels there uncanny between GPS navigation and the miraculous mechanics of manifestation. First, you have to give your system an end result. Everything begins with the end in mind. Once you give your GPS system the destination, it knows where you are. The universe knows where you are. It works backwards. And it knows an infinite number of roads you could travel on. Its sole function is to tell you the shortest, quickest, happiest. You tell divine intelligence where you want to go, the end result. And it's like, I know, bud. I know how to get there. I know every how, who, when, where, possibility. And I'm going to feed back to you the shortest, quickest one of those if you let me. So step two in your car, driving somewhere you've never been before, which that alone is a metaphor. Somewhere you've never been before, that's a dream coming true that you've not yet experienced. Going somewhere you've never been before, I mean, daunting and overwhelming. Step two, after defining it in terms of the end, not in terms of the house, is put your car in gear and drive. If your car's not in gear, it won't matter that there's a vision board in the back seat. Okay, you're not going anywhere. If your car is not in gear, but you're dreaming of, you know, South Beach, Miami, baby, you're contradicting yourself. If you're dreaming of wealth and abundance, friends and laughter, travel partner, but you're not doing something about it, you're contradicting yourself. You have to do something about your dreams, even though you don't know how you're going to get there. Nobody knows how. GPS doesn't know how you're going to get there. One step leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. Divine guidance is feeding you intuition and ideas. You just need to show up in the world so that you're reachable. So destination, car and gear. Number three, at what point in the journey do you realize the whole system worked when you're driving to South Beach? Point of arrival, the moment of arrival, which is scary. That means, you know, after a five-hour journey, and there's only 10 more minutes to go before you're there, after five hours, if you're using your physical senses alone, everything looks weird. It's like, this ain't it. This is not right. I don't see my friends. There's no party. It doesn't work for me. It works for all my friends. It doesn't work for me. I, I think I must be self-sabotaging. I better go home and watch The Secret 30 more days in a row. It's like, it does work for you. It never fails. But the miracles that are making possible your manifestation do not reveal themselves until after you arrive. It's not until you get there, a place that you've never been before, that you realize the system didn't fail you. In life, it's exactly the same. It's not until your moment of arrival then you realize, oh, that left-hand turn I took back in Apalachicola was perfect. That right-hand turn I took around Lake Okeechobee was spot on. Although when you were guided to take it, Nothing seemed to change. The miracles of progress in all of our lives are invisible until long after they happened. You have to wait for the mosaic and the masterpiece to be visible and understandable. Don't try to understand it as it's happening. And then the fourth thing that you got to know 
is you cannot override GPS navigation. You cannot force the system. And where this happens in our lives is the Bermuda Triangle of Manifestation. If you have end results that depend on how you're going to get there, what details will be in the dream when you arrive, or who will be behaving how, those are the three points of the Bermuda Triangle. You can inf influence those. You cannot mandate those. So better not insist on specific people behaving specific ways. That doesn't mean you can't have the love interest of your life. You just can't say who it is. Better not attach to how you're going to get to Miami Beach. The universe knows the best way. How you're going to get to wealth and abundance. How you're going to get to friends and laughter. And don't attach to unimportant details. All details are unimportant. That's the Bermuda Triangle. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, happy Friday. All right, today another very sensitive topic, but it seems like there's an appetite out there um, to hear from a CPA on uh, the quagmire of the mind. And this one is on forgiveness. And what I first have to share with you may sound very, very naive. In fact, even abrasive, if not insulting, but please hear me out. Forgiveness is a moot point, is completely unnecessary forever and ever, unless there has first been blame. Don't blame, nothing to forgive. Now, I know that hurts, and I know that that is really out there for many. Um, I remember when it kind of first came to me, I was connecting the dots, uh, and then finally filled with illumination. You have to look at this from two different angles. Okay, there's the, the physical world, the primitive world we now live in. And if somebody has violated you, has trespassed against you, um, has done something inappropriate in a small way or a big way, it is on them. And I heartily suggest and recommend after deep reflection and going within um, to seek recourse uh, through law and order, should this be the extremity of the case, um, and press charges, file a lawsuit, do whatever you feel compelled to do. Because nothing I'm about to say or that I just said justifies or excuses the poor behavior of other people. It happens all the time. Such poor behavior, it is not acceptable. We live in a primitive world where there is a rule of law that benefits all of us. One day there will be a rule of love and that'll be a whole nother orbit. But for right now, you deal with where you are, with what you have. And so from that level, from the human level, if there has been a violation and if you feel called to press charges or to confront or, you know, to, to move accordingly, by all means, you can and very likely should do that. But these kind of conversations aren't about retribution. They're about recovery, peace in the present, and moving forward deliberately, reclaiming your power. And the best way and the only way you're going to be able to move past an earlier violation or trespass against you is if you reconcile at the deepest levels with a, a spiritual perspective 
to realize that we are all creators, that the thing that happened, happened, if you will, to, to have to be very careful with my words here, in a realm where you knew in advance the probabilities, and for whatever reason, perhaps as a volunteer, you stepped forward, perhaps to help others avoid the same kind of torment that you experienced. Volunteer, an angel, a being of light. If you fall the way of saying, I'm an innocent victim, words that don't make sense in a spiritual context, and please, for reference, see my April 7th spiritual tune-up, where I specifically talked about how some people accuse teachers like myself of blaming the victim. Nobody's blaming the victim. But if you want to remove yourself from the burden of prior trauma or prior violations, you need to see with spiritual lenses that you were not a victim, you were a participant, you were a co-creator, and there could have been many profound reasons that escape your awareness for you to be in harm's way at that time. If you choose to see the circumstances as, you know, bad things happening to good people, and you therefore believe you live in a world where random bad things can happen to any good person for no reason or rhyme, then you will perpetuate those types of occurrences upon you because you believe that life is random, because you believe that there's such a thing as an unfortunate accident, because you believe that other people have power over you. You've got to get past that. You've got to see that you're a divine, sacred creator. As I said just uh, the other day, it's not so much about figuring out or explaining how or why you were violated, okay? As it is living the best of your life from this day forward. You can always look back in hindsight to try to have or assign meaning to what it was you experienced. But for now, it's game on. You still have life. You still have infinite possibilities. And if you want to ascend back to your throne, you must realize that words like victim and blame do not serve you. If you blame beyond the court system, then you're surrendering your power and you would then be, based on your beliefs, vulnerable for reoccurrences from other so-called accidents, from other situations unforeseen. This is also in alignment with how and why do things happen in our life that I spoke to last week uh, that we didn't think about ahead of time. So the baseline here is with a spiritual lens. Forgiveness is a moot point, is not necessary unless you have first blamed. Don't blame. Move beyond it. It's different than the court system. Just realize you are a co-creator. Don't know why you would have participated in such a hideous occurrence. But for what's important now, you are ascending to your throne in power, in truth, and the rest of your life will be the best of your life because your thoughts become things. You are here to succeed. Your default setting is harmony and to not be violated, and to not have these things show up. And so long as you stay in your power, which comes from staying in the truth, you will not cross paths which, with such dirty deed-doers in the future. Again, not an easy message. I am not justifying uh, former violations, present violations, future violations. There's no excuse. 
Press charges, avoid, do whatever you can. But if you want salvation, if you want peace of mind, if you want to rock the rest of your life, claim your power, understand the truth, and begin designing your future with new end results and an understanding that you live in a beautiful, safe, loving world. Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free Notes from the Universe emails. Tally ho!